All right, today we are joined by Duluth East head coach, Rhett McDonald. Coach, thanks for joining today. Hey, Brett. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. I um, want to thank you for doing this, actually, first and foremost. Um, I got to say, like, usually during this time of the year, uh, I'm actually coaching some some spring kind of young kids basketball just to keep the juices flowing. And obviously with the stay at home order, life had to change. But I think for a lot of us, this is like a lifesaver. So uh, thank you. It's been keeping me busy. I've been listening to a lot of coaches here um, all spring. So it's been great. Also, thanks for that cameo appearance in uh, one of my, in that clinger moment there. Oh yeah. <laughs> Relive one of my, my, my proudest moments as a young coach. That was great too. Thank you. Yeah, from the old Grand Rapids breakdown tournament, that was that was good stuff. Uh, thanks for uh, uh, the the kind words about that. You know, for me, I, I I don't know if I've said this on air or before, or after when I'm talking to guests, but kind of hit a point for me as like a trying to you know professional development as a coach when we had all those online coaching clinics, and I had like 15 tabs open on like my Safari of like clinics <laughs> I wanted to come back and watch. It's like, mm-hmm. what am I doing? Like, well, I don't I don't I can't do this. Like, I have two kids. Like, I. Can't, I, I can't do this. And so I'm like, let's just, I'll start my own and I'll bring in high school coaches and it's more relevant. And I think that uh, the people that I've talked to who have complimented and said, you know, that they listen, it's just that relevancy piece, I think is what's been uh, really helpful for coaches. So I, I appreciate you saying that, uh, but it's not about me. It's about you. You're the guest here. I want, we want to know what the hounds are, uh, what make the hounds tick and how, what you do as a coach and some things that we can learn from uh, your system. I know, we, we talk quite a bit during the season. And so I might ask questions when you're like, Oh, Brett, come on. I, you know, that answer. We've already talked about that, but you know, everyone else might not. So I also want to give uh hopefully your dad tunes in, gives him an opportunity to get a little more uh, scouting <laughs> material on the, uh, on the Greyhounds. But anyways, Rhett, uh, your coaching Wikipedia page, where are you from? where do you play? And what brought you to Duluth East? Yeah. All right. Um, I come from a basketball family. Um, I played for my dad at Cambridge Sandy high school, uh, class of 2006. Uh, after high school, um, I eventually went up to play t- at the University of Minnesota Duluth. Uh, I was there from 06 to 2011. Um, I was very much a role player there. Uh, I know what, what it's exactly like to play a lot when you really don't expect it and then play very little when you expect to play a lot when the matchups are right. So um, I learned quite a bit um, on the bench, you know, as a kind of like, uh, you know, you get to study a lot more when you're not really playing the game. So I, I always feel like I learned quite a lot during my experience um, at the University of Minnesota Duluth. Um, in April of my senior year at UMD, I was actually hired uh, as, in a te- as a teaching and a coaching position um, at Blooming Prairie High School, um, which is in southern Minnesota, just south of Oatana and Highway 218. Um, and that, that position, as I hinted, came with a head coaching job, but it was a track and field uh, head coaching job down there. So actually my first head coaching experience was coaching some track and field, um, and I did that in high school, and it was something that I was kind of looking forward to at the time. Um, but how I got into basketball is a little ironic um, because uh, there was no position at Blooming Prairie, and obviously I wanted to get involved in that, but um, shortly after I got the teaching job in Bloomy Prairie, I applied for the Wasika head uh, boys job. And this is in 2011. And uh, very shockingly to me, the next day after the interview, they, they called and offered me the job. And I'm a young guy and I, I accepted at, uh, on a heartbeat, you know, because that was a, it's a beautiful school. It's a basketball town. Um, and that was really something that was really cool to me and exciting and the principal at that time because they had no ad which i thought was very confusing uh she was the one doing the interview 
And she said, you know, you need to check with your principal uh, just to make sure that it's okay. And so I did exactly that. Um, but the principal said, you know, Rhett, I don't, I don't think that's the best idea. So when you're a brand new teacher, just still in college at this point, and the principal says, you know, it's not a good idea. I think the last thing you want to do is um, upset uh, the administration before you even step in the building. So unfortunately, I had to decline that job. But um, the guy that eventually took that job is a guy named, and I know you know him pretty well, is a guy named Todd Dufault. Um, Todd was coaching in Owatonna at that point, and he is an, he's a, a Wasika alum. He, he, was, he was raised there, and he went back to his home and, and started coaching there. But what that did is opened up a job in Owatonna that I eventually took um, to, to get into basketball. So my first year of coaching was actually a sophomore assistant coaching job, which um, throughout the year, Coach Josh Williams and um, Coach Doc Schuster, they kind of go hand in hand. And they're, I, I have a lot of respect for those guys. Um, I learned a lot that year. But throughout the year, um, I felt like my duties were becoming more and more. Um, where eventually, um, I remember uh, prepping our, our team towards the end of the year and almost a lot of the scouts the day before. Um, so they put a lot of trust in me as a young guy. Um, and I learned a lot from them, um, just how to run a, a, a pretty dang good program. That team in 2012, eventually we lost in the section championship to Lakeville North, um, who lost at the buzzer, um, that year in the state championship game. Um, but you know, from that experience in Owatonna, I, d I learned a lot, um, um, from those guys, from a summer program, from organizing a booster club and a youth program under one umbrella. And I think the one thing that a lot of those people in the big nine know is that Owatonna is unbelievably committed to the weight room. Um, and that's something that we've tried to do here um, in Duluth as well. Um, that spring, uh, the job opened up at Duluth East. Um, and for a lot, of the, a lot of the people that know me well, uh, East is, was my dream job. You know, my dad used to take me up. We always played in the same section as, as East for the most part. I remember as a kid going up to the Romano Gymnasium at UMD or the deck um, when the section was played there to watch East usually go against what seemed to be central at that point. Um, but I always, I love Duluth, like most people do from, from the Twin Cities metro suburbs area. And um, I just, at that point as a young kid, dreamt of coaching at, at East. And when I walked into the interview, um, all there were seven people on the panel, which is more than any teaching job that I applied for. Um, but I knew five of the seven pretty well. So when I walked into the, to the interview, I felt really comfortable and, and things really worked out. Uh, I just finished up my eighth year here at East. Um, there's obviously been a lot of, uh, uh, growing pains the first couple of years, but we feel like we're moving in the right direction at this point. You guys definitely are. You know, two, sec two section final trips uh, in the last two years, and you got a really good group of guys coming through here for the next couple of years. That should probably get you there, and and and, and hopefully for your guys' sake, even further uh, in, in playing it further into March. But you mentioned early on that uh, you usually be coaching a youth team right now, and I know you do a lot with your youth program and your youth development. So, why don't you just take us through what your youth program looks like, and then what your role is, and how involved you are uh, mm -hmm. in the Duluth uh, Basketball Association. You know, like everyone, I think um, all of us that kind of coach in us, like yourself in Princeton, you know how important a youth program is. So the very foundation of like everything you do um, in the future, it really starts with 
these kids, you know? So uh, we spent a, a whole heck of a lot of time, in my opinion, um, trying to develop the kids that we have. Um, when I showed up uh, to East, there, there was no youth program specifically designed for kids that would eventually come into to East. There was a citywide uh, traveling basketball program. Um, and at the point, my first year, I really didn't know how it operated or if it was good, if it was working, but I'll never forget. They asked me to run, a uh, run the tryout in that one, one court, one court gym. There were 50 kids there. Um, I was trying to do my best. There were kids from all different age groups. There were guys lined up on the wall, um, evaluating. I don't know how they were doing it. But midway through the uh, midway through the tryout, uh, the guys that were evaluating basically kicked me kicked me out of the tryout and said they, they were going to take it over. Um, so that, for me, that was the point where I was like, you know, I, I think it might be best uh, for us to try to develop our own youth program. And the next year, in two thousand fourteen, uh, that's exactly uh, exactly what we did. So um, when I started, um, I was doing a lot. Um, you know, at that point, my wife and I only had one kid and, uh, you know, when it came to organizing, organizing teams, selecting teams, selecting coaches, um, going to their games, going to practices, um, for kids, grades four and up, um, I was really, uh, committed to those groups because I knew that that was really the, the groups that I would have to be looking forward to. And, um, at this point now, um, we have a travel team coordinator that, that does an unbelievably fantastic job. Um, where he takes care of everything and he really thinks it's best and as do I it's best for me to be focusing on our high school level during the basketball season so he really takes control of everything um, when it comes to the in-season stuff but you know like I mentioned uh, I think our summer program is really really big for our youth um, which is something that I stole from Oatana um, we have six weeks of, of, of basketball camp. Um, we split it uh, into three by three. We call uh, one session basketball camp, really, and then the next is Skills Academy. Regardless, um, it's having uh, anywhere from some years it's 50 kids, grades uh, four through eight, to, to 100 kids, grades four through eight, in the gym for six weeks. I think that um, it, it does a lot. It's every day, Monday through Friday, for for – two and a half to three hours, depending on what session it is. And it's just great to get in there and uh, start building relationships with kids and, and get to know the kids that eventually we're going to play for you someday. Um, another thing that we like to do is coach teams in the fall where myself, along with some of our, our high school coaches coach some of our youth teams and, and the spring as well. Like I mentioned earlier, usually each year uh, I coach a, anywhere from a sixth grade to an eighth grade team that'll eventually play for me. Um, and that is one some of the best experiences I've had as a coach, because you really know, unbelievably, you might laugh at me. It, I've learned a lot in terms of how to coach kids. It's a lot more difficult at that youth level than it is at the high school level. So it, it really challenges you um, to, to do a really good job. So, um, it's kind of twofold for us. We get to work on our coaching game, but also work with these kids. So, um, yeah, yeah I think it was, uh, uh, I think Damian Johnson from uh, North St. Paul said the same thing when he was coaching in Orno is like, he learned more about coach than he did in any of his professional or division one, um, playing experiences. So yeah, you really have to learn how to teach the game. Sorry, you were, you were going on. 
No, that's, uh, that's really it. It's just, uh, for us, it's, and I say us because it's, it's not just me, uh, all of our assistants at this point now, and there's a lot of them, they're pretty committed to this, this 12 month process of working with our youth kids. And, um, it's a, it's a grind, but it's, it's fun. How do you decide which team and just from like the political aspects of picking a group and the observation of the head coach, picking one specific group to coach. So how do you decide what group to coach uh, in your fall and spring seasons? That's, that's actually a really good question. There's no, there's no rhyme or reason really. Um, that being said with next year's senior group, um, that was a group that I was always coaching in the fall and in the spring. So these kids, obviously, that have been playing for me, most of them as sophomores, juniors, and next year seniors, um, we had a really good relationship when they were in fifth grade. So um, I know these kids probably better than the other, some other groups of kids that I've coached along the way just simply because of that. Um, sometimes I, I take a group that seems to be a project. Um, sometimes I take a group where um, they should be pretty talented. So I don't know. This year I let my assistant coaches pick what group they would like to coach first. And I took the, I took the, 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 the group that didn't get a lot of votes and I was going to coach a, a seventh grade group uh, this year. And uh, yeah, it, it's whatever works, you know, um, we all know these kids pretty well. So yeah, I don't know. It, it's not really a big deal. We just take a group that we want and we go with it. You talked about your uh, off season skill development type stuff with your six weeks of camp with your younger kids. Talk about what, uh, and maybe this will transition into practice planning, but talk about how you develop your players uh, from that are in your nine through 12 program. Well, that, it's a difficult question because it always seems to be for me anyway, it, it's all about an evaluation process, I guess, informally that takes place, you know, and after our season is complete and as we get into the, the summer. Um, the one thing that I can tell you um, is that we spend a lot of time shooting the basketball in the, in the summer, probably an incredible amount. Um, and, and I think it's shooting is obviously probably the most important skill in basketball. And to be able to do that well, is kind of an equalizer. Um, so we shoot it a ton, but when it comes to like skill development, we do what everyone else does. I wish I, we don't have a magical, a magical way of, of getting it done, but uh, we teach our kids how to, how to uh, dribble pass and shoot. I mean, I really wish I could tell you guys something that, <laughs> that everyone's not doing, but we just, I think it's just as simple as getting in the gym and, and spending time in the gym and playing basketball. So, um, we, yeah, I, I wish I could give you something else, but I, I can't. No, it's good. I mean, that's important. I mean, shooting is like you mentioned is, it, you know, teams that aren't very athletic, if they shoot the ball, they're going to be really hard to beat. So uh, mm-hmm. we saw that, Eden, we saw that Eden Prairie team uh, this year, that was 28 or was that 28? No, that mm-hmm. they, they had scholarship kids on their team. Don't get me wrong, but they didn't have any, you know, power five conference kids. They had, you know, some smaller division one school kids, division two kids, but they shot the hell out of it, which made them almost impossible. They did. They were undefeated. They were impossible to beat top, whatever top 15 team in the nation. Uh, just mm-hmm. based off of shooting. So like you said, it can make, can really raise your team's um, ability level if you can shoot the basketball. Let's go into season uh, and practice planning. I know that's one thing that you mentioned. We were texting about this. That is one of your, uh, you thought was one of your strengths. And I get, I have the luxury of uh, the last couple of years, I've been able to get in and actually watch you guys practice because most teams were all practicing at the same time. And unless you're taking a year off of coaching or if you're on a late practice or you work something out with your assistants, we can't get in the gym and watch other teams practice. Now for us, 
having been in the same region where we're 7-3A and you're 7-4A and us having mm-hmm. our semifinals and finals in your gym. Um, you got, we've always gotten there early enough on our last two section final days because you know, my assistants will laugh at this is I like to get there about seven hours before we need to for games. <laughs> but I've been Likewise. able to watch pretty much your entire two practices the last two years. And so I get it, I've really liked what I've saw for your practice. But just talk about you know, how you plan practice, what goes into practice, uh, what you're looking to achieve, and just kind of give us the general overview of what your practice look like. Because from my lens, they're really smoothly ran and they're really efficient. Yeah, I appreciate that, Brett. Thank you. Um, uh, for uh, I think it really starts with us is we have a lot of hands on deck when it comes to our assistant uh, coaching staff. And I'll mention that I true I don't I just I don't just say this. I really believe that we have one of the top coaching staffs in the state. I'm I'm so fortunate to have guys that really work hard and uh, are are able to get on the floor and teach skills um, that uh, we think are important. So. For us, we have a we have a luxury of having on a varsity practice, including myself, five to six coaches. Um, so we're able to 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 be there and work with small groups of kids and have enhanced for passes and just things that you see at maybe the next level that it is very difficult to do in a in a high school practice. Um, our practices generally start off as um, we we split. Uh, we I usually take the guards. Um, as well as two of my other assistant coaches where the bigs go with um, my, my other assistants. And one of the guys that I'm going to mention, his name is Damian Paulson. Uh, he's a guy that's been coaching with me uh, for the last three years. His son is one of our better players, the big 6'9 kid. Um, and he does a phenomenal job of teaching everyone. But what he does really well is, is, is teach these posts some, some great stuff, stuff that I could not do. Um, when it comes to footwork and ceiling and uh, setting ball screens. I mean, it's what he does is phenomenal. So he gets to work with those guys. Um, honestly, we spend about anywhere from 30 to 45 minutes towards the end of the season. I would say that over 50% of our practice is just getting reps in. Um, so I take the guards, he takes the bigs. Um, for us, uh, we, we, I, I really feel, too, that whatever you do in the first 20 minutes of your practice really sets the tone about who you are as a program. And so for us, on the, from the guards, um, we spend a lot of time just defensively. Um, and we're, man, we were not very good this year, uh, staying in front and with close, closing out and finishing plays, amongst other things. And we weren't as aggressive. So if, for us, that's what we would do for the first 15 minutes. And then after that, as I already mentioned, for guards and our bigs, we shoot a lot. Um, we, I know that it gets frowned upon these days, uh, thanks to guys like Chris Oliver, but we, we just, we shoot, just catch and shoot pretty statically at some point just to get comfortable and confident. Um, but then we do some more dynamic pieces where we have hands flying and getting, you know, trying to get, uh, hands and vision and trying to hit shots when we're moving through actions and stuff like that, that we'd like to see in a game. So for the first 45 minutes, that's kind of what we do. After that, go ahead. Nope. Go ahead. No, you talked about your actions. I just want to have you expand on that because I've seen, like I said, I've been there to watch it uh, literally sitting in the front row, uh, watching your guys' practice. So you do a lot of your actions within your offense. So how do you decide uh, what uh, with your shooting drills, what you just, what actions you're going to work on that day? Uh, Is it something that maybe didn't, you didn't maybe a flare screen you guys struggle with on the, on Tuesday's game, or do you have just like a scheduled out, like we're working on flares this day. We're working on pin downs mm-hmm. this day. Do you have something like that? 
So I just wanted you to expand love, on that. I would love to say that I'm so organized and I have it planned out, but that's not the case. I, I think it really comes down to sometimes it's what we did not do very well the night before, as you mentioned, but um, other things is like when we know that we're playing Buffalo and they're going to, they're going to be, be a very good pack line type of team. And we're going to have to do things to get guys open to try to create an advantage. And I'll talk about that. I'm, I'm sure later, but um, so we'll work on actions that prepare us for games. Now that looks different than when we're playing Cambridge where we're not screening it at all. And uh, we're just trying to wrap actions that we'd like to see um, happen in the game. Some of those actions are, are actions and a practice that we do quite often. But other than that, um, sometimes we wrap actions that kids haven't seen before that we might want to, to use in a game uh, against an uncommon opponent or someone who does something a little bit different, such as Cambridge, um, to get us prepared. So uh, it depends. So good. Okay, so that was your first 45 minutes. What does the second half of practice look like? Well, what came with uh, Coach Paulston really is this thought of how – us as a basketball program, we need to do a lot better job of flowing into our offense. So what we do next is we work on two on two or, or excuse me, two on zero early offense where we have guys going up and down the floor, working on some early actions, a lot of which start with a handoff and read reads out of that. Um, when we go three on three, um, we have our guard and our, our wing running up the, the side of the floor. And the third uh, guy is our post guy running straight down the middle where we have different calls and actions just to get us into um, our offense a little bit after that. And so once we work on it early, there's generally like um, immediately we just go into like some sort of transition based game where we're, we're drilling a lot of the concepts. Things are moving uh, very quickly at that point. We try to do our best and we say this with our kids that we have to create and control the chaos at this point. The other thing about our practices and, we started doing this um, a couple years ago um, for 100% of our practices. The music is going like crazy. And some people can think that that is ridiculous and kids can't stay focused, but uh, I think you'd be surprised what it does to your practice. And, you know, uh, if a kid really wants to be there and a coach says, Hey man, you, you need to be focused. They're going to, they're going to, they're going to change for you. So um, we get into our transition stuff. And, and after that, we probably shoot a little bit more. We get into our defensive stuff that we need to do as a team. Um, and then towards the end, we play more games. And I've, I've changed a lot as a coach um, over my, my eight years. I, I would say that I was very old school and I was stubborn um, when I first started. And I learned that, you know, if you want to keep players engaged as we move into March, the more games that you can can play whether it be two on two five on five whatever your kids are a heck of a lot more engaged and I think the last three seasons you've seen that from us so the music is an interesting point which is definitely I, I noticed when I was at your guys's practice it was funny though because then when we played you played the semifinal game there they had no music for us during warm-ups so I'm like <laughs> why can't we just have Duluth why can't we just have Duluth these practice music like that was just fine 45 minutes ago why is it not working anymore <laughs> Um, obviously joking and no one cares about, uh, our semifinal <laughs> warm-up music, but, uh, you kind of hit on the changing more games based stuff, especially as you get towards March, just generally, what are some of the similarities and differences in your practices early in the year, like in December versus like, February? um, you know, I think that early on in our season and this year for us, it was really difficult because we had five days of practice that we got canceled due to, due to the snow up here, which was hard, you know, to try to get ready for the season. but. 
I think in a normal season, we spend a lot of time early doing a lot of defensive uh, concepts and techniques and how to guard specific actions. You know, I don't care if you have a very um, experienced team or, or not so much. I, I think that for us, if we're going to, if we're going to say that defense is important to us and we need a guard, um, we're going to start our season really heavy on the defensive end. I would say that in general, generally speaking, that as we progress through a year, we're doing a lot less of that, how we guard this action. And uh, we, we get into more of our offensive stuff. Everyone knows everyone by the end of the season, it seems like. So we just have to put our best product on the floor um, at that point. So um, I would say generally we, we do start the season with two-a-days. Um, I know that some coaches frown upon that. Um, our morning practices consist mainly of just getting reps. Um, um, it's tough. I'll, a lot of, for the majority, of our kids spend a lot of time playing basketball, but there are some, you know, our, our, our eighth, ninth, 10th JV types that don't play nearly as much basketball as everyone else. And I feel like we have to catch them up. So we, we do whatever we can to get guys game like reps with shots and such. Um, but I would say that, uh, a general, we go for about two hours uh, throughout the, the early part of the season. Towards the end, we're going for an hour, an hour and a half. Um, you'd be amazed, though. Um, again, this is a lesson I learned as, a, as a, uh, an aging coach, maybe, is that you know, when you cut practice at an hour or an hour 30, kids don't leave the gym. <laughs> they stay there and they get shots up on the gun, which is probably exactly what you wanted anyway. Probably get more out of that. Um, so for us, that's kind of what we do. Um, it might not be for everyone, but for us, it's something that we're comfortable with. Talk about your pace and practice and how you keep things moving and your transitions from one drill to the next. Yeah, I, I think when one thing that I took from UMD is just that everyone has a water bottle, no one's leaving the gym, and every drill just moves from one point to the other. Um, I was listening to Klinger speak on your podcast, and if we really want to make practices harder than games, I think that at some point, you just have to keep things moving, right? You have to keep kids, um, their blood pressure up where they're tired and they're fighting through stuff. Um, and they, you don't allow that two minute break, um, for them to get, you know, put some free throws up, goof around, go in the hallway, get a drink. Um, we just want to kid, we want to keep kids minds, right. We just want to get in and, and out of the gym when we can. And I think it's important to develop that mindset that when we're in the gym, <laughs> We're gonna we're gonna compete. We're gonna battle. We're gonna play here um, as long as we can for practice. And pace of practice is crucial. I, I think it has a lot to do with your DNA as a basketball program um, on, on Tuesday and Thursday and Friday nights. Um, when it comes to like the type of team that you are and the culture you want to build, so um, I think that 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 tempo and that pace of practice is important. I think we do it pretty well. You talked about uh, defensively early in the year. You spent a lot of time uh, with your defensive stuff. Let's transition into defense. I know you are more of a pack line type team. So just kind of talk about your pack line philosophy, uh, maybe how that changes depending on your opponent and some ways that you make adjustments within that. Well, um, I was never a pack line guy when I, when I was playing. Well, first, I didn't play any defense when I was playing, so I don't know who, I, who I'm kidding. Um, but – after my first year, I was really frustrated with how we guarded. Um, and I actually went down to a hoops, you clinic when they had, them. there was like 13 people there 
Um, John Carrier was actually one of them. Shocker, I know. Um, <laughs> he was there along with one of my assistants. And we, it, honestly, it turned into some sort of pack line fiesta. You had Jack Bennett. You have Tim Groves from, from Northwestern. And then the, the keynote guy was Jim Boone, who everyone knows as this pack line guy. Um, and at that point, I kind of turned into this believer of the pack line. I thought it, I loved the simplicity of it. Um, I love the teachability of it. For me, um, it was easier to get guys to buy into it maybe. Um, and overall, um, I think over the years, it's been pretty successful um, in terms of our defensive efficiency. Um, what's funny is that everything that we want to have happen offensively is exactly the opposite of what we want to have happen defensively. So in practice, they work really, really well um, with each other when we have guys going at each other. But for us, it starts with a mission. Um, each and every single defensive possession, we want to keep the ball consistently out of the paint. We want to stay out of situations where two guys have somehow guard one. Um, and we want to do whatever we can to hard contest any shot. I'm not, I know that there's some coaches out there that say we only allow twos. Personally, I don't think that's realistic. As, as, as long as we can hard contest shots, uh, I think that regardless of how well our offense is playing and we do those three things well, I'm feeling pretty confident that we're going to have a chance to win um, on a given night. Um, so with us, it's and like every pack line type of team, it starts with getting back in transition, right? Um, I think that wins in March. Regardless of a shot goes in and out, we have to get back and get our defense set. We want man, we want guys on man, men, um, and we want to make sure that we're all set. And one of the things that we started talking about this year is putting out that first fire. You know, when there are a lot of great teams out there and they're coming at you hard and they're pushing the pace and we have to be ready to guard early on in that possession, especially when you play teams that are great at keeping that advantage going offensively. We want to be in a situation where we don't put ourselves into a disadvantaged spot. We guard that first action well, and, and we finish a possession. Uh, I think uh, – I don't care what defense you play. If you have dudes that can't stay in front, I, it, it doesn't work. So we spend a lot of time just guarding a yard. I know that Coach Ortman brought that up uh, last week when I list, uh, a couple weeks ago when I listened to his podcast. Um, and then containing on your own. Uh, like every pack line closing out. Um, it's something we work on quite a bit. Um, and then lastly is boxing out and finishing the play. Um, I've gotten to the point now, and I, I hope no officials are listening to this at this point, but I, I, find it, uh, I find it very successful to have guys shove guys before they get a block out because it's a war down there. Um, so I, we're teaching guys to almost get two hands on guys' chest before they eventually try to get a block out. Um, for us, it's, it kind of comes down to that. Um, when it comes to, like, specific guys, right, um, help recover is very hard when you're guarding a team that is very good, right? So especially when they have guys that can really penetrate and it, it requires help, um, and then you're leaving a wide-open guy and a quarter that can shoot it at 50%, that's not a, a very successful defense. So sometimes um, – if we're guarding a guy that can just shoot it, we call those guys D3s. I took that term from Coach Meyer, dead three. Um, those are the type of guys that were kind of like me in high school that don't even want to dribble. They just want to catch and shoot, right? Um, 
with those guys, we, we call it red, where they're kind of denying at that point when they, we tell our guys that we don't, no threes to D3s. We don't even want them to, to get a look at it. You know, we have that D3 tag on guys, but it's funny. They still get a, a good amount of shots up. But for the most part, we hard contest those. Um, if we ever call a white, that's really where we can like, and this is all personnel based. There'd be a, a red call on one guy. There might be a white call on another guy. And that's the type of guy that we can really sag off more from and maybe help even more off of. Um, so it's all personnel based. Um, and then honestly, when we play a team that might have a very good kid and maybe some role players that are just not that good, um, you know, playing up in Duluth, we do see some teams that we should be um, uh, on a given night. We're not, we're not playing in the late conference where every night is, is a different test. Um, and, and no disrespect to the teams that we play, but one of the things that we do is we, we call it dork defense. And that's another coach Meyerism. Um, we just sometimes don't guard guys when we, uh, when we feel like we need to put our attention on a dude that they do have that we do need to stop. So I don't know. Those are some things that we do within our pack line defense um, that, that may be different than others, but in a nutshell, that's us. You got to try baiting me there in a couple of things. I'm not going to touch on the, on the referee comment with showing (laughs) an up North or anything. So I'm just going to slide on right past that one. Um, Weak side defense. I know pack line traditionally pack line. You're shooting everyone to strong side. Are you teaching one foot in the lane or two feet in the lane on the weak side? We teach one. Um, I think you overcompensate a little bit with two feet in the paint. Some coaches will disagree with me, but when you have a, a guy that's already in a built-in help position, in my personal opinion, you don't need. You should not need a guy with two feet in the paint. Those guys should be doing the jobs themselves. Um, and with a dude that has two feet in the paint. You know, if they get that deep, you're already in a, you're already in a hole. Um, so for us, we, we teach one foot in the paint um, at the high school level. And then uh, you guys are able to, you know, I, I've seen a few of your games over the course of the years. Uh, how do you, how are you able to amp up the pressure within your pack? And how do you make that decision? Or what do you change maybe systematically if you're looking to uh, turn a team over maybe late in the game? Or if maybe you said you see a, uh, maybe you flip that uh, the dork scout on a guy and you try to double that guy when they get a touch. So what are some ways that you are able to amp the pressure up within your pack and turn teams over? Um, well, maybe uh, what we do, which is not a traditional uh, concept um, of the pack, but we actually pick guys up at the, the opposite free throw line and we start turning them. Every once in a while, we will throw a jump double when they do clear it out. Um, I think good teams, that doesn't bother them whatsoever when they have multiple guys that can that can dribble it up the floor, you know, that that probably doesn't do anything to them. But for, for some teams that have one guy that's predominantly the ball handler, anything to just kind of disrupt what they do within the half court is something we'll send it to jump double just to, to have guys get out, be aggressive and rotate. And I think that does a lot that aggressiveness sometimes in the full court, what I've noticed is kind of it, it breeds into the half court. So if we feel like we need to keep guys aggressive, we'll, we'll do some full court stuff like that. Um, other than that, I, I think there always needs to be good, a good amount of ball pressure when you're in the half court, when you're playing the pack line, um, you need to be able to guard the ball and stay in front at the same time. Uh, I, I have had teams where we're not very athletic and we, we really can't, uh, put any ball pressure and we can't stay in front. But again, I'll go back to the, the thing I said earlier. 
it doesn't matter what kind of defense you play. You're just not going to be very good regardless. So um, we want to, to, to compete on the ball. Um, we want to get up and, and have our hands active and try to get tips and deflections on the ball. Um, but at the end of the day, if we can hard contest shots and, and finish the play, we're good with that. And some teams grind, which is agonizing sometimes, but it is what it is. We just got to go and go and get the ball when the go and contest shots and get the ball when it's, when it's off the rim. You talked about uh, contesting shots and, you know, hard closeouts on guys and you have your red call on shooters. So closeouts are a huge part of the pack line. Uh, you know, talking to coach Ortman from Buffalo, who's more of a pack line type team as well. And what are, what are, what are your teaching points with teaching closeouts? Are you guys going two hands up? Are you going one hand up? Are you running guys off the line? What are some of your uh, closeout philosophies? I know like you mentioned, you're a little bit more aggressive on the ball uh, contesting shots than most Pacland teams might be. So how are you guys drilling and what are some of your main teaching points uh, as it refers to closeouts? I would say that 90% of the time we stick to principle. Uh, we'll, we'll still, I know that it's the, the trend is changing a little bit. We're still short choppy. Uh, we're still, we're still uh, two high hands um, on the ball. And that, that being said, uh, and you know this, uh, there's going to be guys that are just different that are a, a next level type of guy, or they do something that's a little bit different. Maybe they can't shoot a lick. So why would you hard close out on some of them? So um, I would say a lot of it is still based on personnel and what's in the scout. Um, we'll, we'll tell some guys to run them off the line and, and jump at shots. Um, we'll tell guys to don't even go out there and, and close out because we want them to shoot. Um, 90% of the time in practice, we drill how we'd like them to close out. If we have to make um, some changes, we'll make some changes. But again, that's all game before. That's all a day before the game. That's all uh, in the locker room at halftime um, in terms of what we need to do to try to, to try to get stops defensively. And then pick and roll defense and pack line. Uh, obviously it probably lends to be a little bit more uh, conservative in your pick and roll defense. Are you guys going on, under, are you guys going over? And then what's your, what's your big guy do? I know for you, you have a six, nine big kid, like you mentioned, I think I just saw that he got a UMD offer the other day. And so I'm, um, you know, more of a traditional five type guy that we don't see as much in mm -hmm. uh, today's basketball, especially at high school level. And not mm -hmm. a lot of teams have that six, nine, six, 10 type post who's, you know, more straight back to the basket. So how are you guys teaching pick and roll defense uh, within your pack line? I think that the pick and roll uh, and how we guard any sort of pick and roll, is something that we work on probably more than anything else. And for us, it starts with, 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 with what location the, the screen is being set. If it's on the side, if it's one of those spread ball screens that I know they're, you're, when we play you guys in the summer, you're going to try to kill us with. Um, we guard those uh, scenarios differently, um, but we also guard pick and roll scenarios differently uh, based on personnel. So I would say, generally speaking, um, we guard a side ball screen where we force, obviously in pack line, there's no baseline. You can't let it go down there. But we force guys through the action. Um, we don't give them the option to reject a screen. Um, we get our hand on that outside hip and we try to push them through the action. With our big, even though he's 6'9 and more of a traditional big, telling him on a side ball screen that he's got a hard hedge and force the ball out towards the half court line. And we might need to rotate if we, if we over help or we, we, have a, we have some trouble getting through that action on that backside. But predominantly speaking, um, we will rep that. Now, when it comes to, like, we don't switch like you guys do. We, we will switch a lot of guard-to-guard -guard stuff. But when it comes to our big, as you mentioned, he's more of a 
he's more of a, a, a typical old school big guy. Um, we're not switching that stuff. So um, based on who we're guarding through that with the ball, we could be going over, we can be going under. I would say most of the time for the teams that we play, there are not a lot of guys that are shooting behind that ball screen at 26 feet deep, you know? So at the end of the day, I like to keep it simple. I, I tell guys, just beat it. Don't get hit. <laughs> Force them through the action, but don't get hit. When a ball, when a ball screen is being set at the top, right? When we're playing Princeton and we know that that's coming and that kid can, can pick and pop and he'll play out of that scenario too, where it's going to put a lot of pressure on us. Um, we flat hedge, we know our soft hedge, everything from that point. So again, we force him, we force the ball through the action. We tell our big that his main job is just stop the ball going right to the rim. But our point guard needs to, whoever's guarding that needs to get through the action. And again, cannot get hit. I would say 90% of the time we're going under that screen, um, just to kind of square up and, and, and stop that that line to the basket but um our big is just his sole job is to stop him from going from point a to point b you know i don't you're not here to uh talk about your little cousin but i know someone that we both play that probably could come off the ball screen and um, hit it from (laughs) shoot from 26 feet but it's not about him it's not about him he can coach and then we can talk to him someday uh let's switch to offense uh i know you guys are a bit more modern on the offensive end maybe comparably to speaking to what you guys are on the defensive end so what are you, what are your guys is for who teams that are coaches that aren't familiar with uh, Duluthies Greyhound basketball, just give us a brief overview about what your offense uh, and your offensive system looks like. You know, I think our offense that we use for us today is really a blend of my experiences as a basketball player and a young coach. Um, my first year we did all dribble drive. The next couple of years when we played you guys, it was more like a beeline two guard stuff, which I didn't see a lot of success with, um, but we still use some concepts there. Um, we use a lot of concepts that we used at um, UMD, and I say we because Damian, my assistant coach, he played – he was a heck of a player at UMD, and we use a lot of the same terms and concepts that we were taught there. And then I think like most people today, we, we watch a lot of Villanova, and we watch, we watch a lot of Jay Wright stuff. So it's kind of a blend of things that we like um, – we've liked in our, our past that kind of make our offense today. Ultimately um, – we play the advantages game like a lot of a lot of teams are doing today. I find it very easy to coach. Um, I find it uh, very easy to teach shot selection when we're talking advantages. Um, and we, and like everyone, we talk about finding, using, and creating. So, East at, at Duluth East, we have these things, uh, these benchmarks, these anchors. We want to play with pace, right? Make or miss. We want to sprint and transition. We want to constantly put pressure on the defense. Like I said earlier, defensively, our job is to try to put out the first fire while offensively we're trying to create it, right? Um, and we do that with a lot of our early actions if the, if the defense is set. Um, the other thing that we tell our kids, and I, Coach Paulson can be credited for, for bringing this to our program, but we tell kids the first five seconds are yours, Right. So whatever you can do to get a wide open shot uh, within your within your skill set, those five seconds, we we give those to you guys, and we're committed to that. Are there some shots that we wish we could take back? Yeah, but I would say ninety nine percent of the shots that kids shoot within the first five seconds, we're we're begging them to take that shot too. Um, I think that 
our offense is just a series of two man games, right? Um, we have guys, we play four out one in for the most part. So we're in both slots and both corners. Um, and we teach guys to, to play with their partner. And I think that it really depends on who we're playing. Um, if we're playing a pack line team, the actions that we, we work with there are going to be different than a team that when we play that is up, um, up in passing lanes and denying where we do a lot more cutting. But at the end of the day, it's, it's just getting kids used to playing with someone, right? Um, earlier when I talked about defense, we, we, defensively, we don't want two, guard, two guys to guard one. Offensively, that's all we're trying to do. Um, and it's something that we talk about quite often throughout a practice and in games. You have to get to the point where you, got, where you create two guys to come and guard you to create that advantage. Um, that's something that we talked a lot at UMD. Um, actually, I don't think we did a tremendous job at that during my playing career there, but it was something that was constantly brought up. And I think the easiest way to do that, and I've been blessed with some bigs, um, we play through the post quite a bit. When I first showed up at, at, at Duluth East, there was a 6'7 kid named Matt Lochner. As soon as he graduated, there was a 6'9 kid named Cody Carlson that's now playing at finishing up at Concordia St. Paul. And now we, as soon as Cody graduated, we had Noah Paulson who's going to be a senior next year. So I've been blessed with some bigs. Um, I think when you get it into the post, that's advantage time. You get guys to come down there and sink and help and dig and double. And I think you're really opening up some opportunities to, to score some or get some wide open looks that you eventually try to score. We haven't talked a lot about post touches on the first, uh, I think, 17 interviews that I've done. So what are some creative ways uh, that you're able to get a post touch? I think why the game is – personally, I think why the game has shifted away from uh, post touches, I think it's a tough – you know, if you're really relying on the one guy posting up, it can at times yeah. be tough to get a post touch. So what are some ways that you've been creative with your – I don't know, that back-to-back scholarship bigs. Uh, so what are some ways that you've, you've been able to get them post touches? Well, <clears throat> for us, I think – honestly, I think pace has a lot to do with that. You know, I, I think that if you get the ball up the floor quickly and you have a big that can run, and I think our big um, is getting to the point where he runs the floor pretty well and he's big and strong. And if he can get down there to a spot where he's deep, he has got two feet in the paint, um, and we could just throw it up to him um, and just get him the ball down there, I think it's it, that's easy. That's it's just easy, you know. And then we, we talk a lot, and I <laughs> it's kind of a laughing joke for kids that, guys that played at UMD, but Coach Wilquist and Coach Race used to say that um, the best, your best move is no move, right? When I played in college, all we did is throw it into bigs. We, I played with an All-American, All All-League guys down there, and all we did every single day for 10 minutes is just work on throwing it into the bigs, and I think that's a lot of the stuff that we do right now. Um, so for me and Coach Paulson, it's really – it's what we were – it's kind of how we were brought up. So um, – for us, we every day, and I should have brought this up. We do post passing. It's simple. It's stupid. It's it's two on two, and we just have a, a guy really guarding the passer, and a, and a guy posting up with the defender down there, and we're telling guys to throw it up, right? Um, one one thing we always say is break his nose. Like we're trying to throw it right at his nose, um, and if it's anywhere above his nose, he can go get it. Um, I'm telling you, this year we really struggled to get it into him. We really did. And until we really emphasized throwing it up, you know, um, we really struggled to get the type of post touches that we needed to do. It's simple. It's stupid. Um, that's what we do to get it into him. Um, I think that um, Coach Paulson does a very good job of teaching guys how to seal 
um, in our pre-practice stuff, which makes uh, the life of guards a lot easier. Um, and it's at the end of the day, it's, it's easier to throw it into a six, nine dude in comparison to the six, three. So we're fortunate. Last question here. You have a lot of, like you said, you have an amazing staff. You have a lot of assistants. So what are some things that during a game you have your assistant coaches track? And then how do you use that data to make adjustments maybe out of timeout or at halftime? Well, um, I think that changes every game. Again, I wish I could say that I'm really organized and detailed. There's not a specific thing that we track every single game that everyone else probably does or does not do. You know, we don't, we don't track tips and deflections defensively. Um, We don't track getting on the floor. We just really expect our guys to do that. Um, But we have, on the bench, and I don't want to give up all my secrets here, but no, don't, don't, whatever <laughs> you want okay. to share. I don't want you guys to lose, lose your competitive advantage. Oh, whatever. Uh, we, uh, one of my assistants really is Coach Paulson is my is my guy. Uh, he's he's been a head coach in the past, and he's really just my my go to on the bench. The other assistants really depends. Um, there's one guy, one guy that I've had, Coach Adam Zach. He's been with me for the for the last three seasons, and he's great at at hearing play calls and yelling actions as they're happening in terms of how we need to guard things. He's also very good at when we call something or when I call something, whether it's an early, a set at halftime, he's very good at coming in and say, you know what, this set has worked two out of two times. We need to keep going at that. Um, or he can say, you know what, we're over three on this, this early action. I think we need to work on this. Um, it's kind of like that. I mean, it's, it's, it's simple. It's stupid. Um, but that's what we do. We, our assistant coaches are just really talking to players more so than anything else. And if you've seen me coach, you, they're probably doing a very good job of keeping me calmed down too. So um, <laughs> it's really their job. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, you know, in theory, it's great if we can track a bunch of different stuff, but you know, with high school kids, there's only so much data that you can give them. That's going to really change how they play the last 18 minutes of, of a high school basketball game. So I think it's, you mentioned what uh, the very end there, really important part that I feel like that my staff does is just like coach kids, right. Mm -hmm. Is like have Mm -hmm. those conversations with kids. You, you know, there's 10 guys on the court, you know, a lot of times, uh, you know, head coaches, I think at times, I know I've been guilty of is get caught watching the ball. And Mm -hmm. so what's going on off the ball? How's our movement? How are we defending screens? Um, I just think having guys watch the game and have those conversations with kids is so essential for assistance. Uh, Coach, I, I really appreciate you, appreciate you coming on. Uh, really good stuff. Uh, you know, I'm not a pack line guy, but I think for people that are uh, are teaching pack line or interested in switching to pack line, that was a that was really good uh, good segment there, and really good stuff all the way around. So I appreciate you coming on. Um, thanks again, and best of luck uh, this upcoming season, and enjoy the enjoy your summer. All right, Brett. As always, thanks, buddy. Uh, it's good talking to you. Thank you very much.